You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Loyalty's my favorite characteristic of God, but finding it in it is hard. It's like trying to find God. You're the only one in your camp with cheese. You pay for everything they eat. Man, that insecurity is deep. Now I ain't said no names. These are just theories if you hear me, baby. It's home. You must admit it's kind of eerie, baby. Like them chemtrails in the sky. Grand Rising, Grand Rising, everybody. Welcome to The Day with Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday, And of course, I want to welcome you to this literal warm Wednesday here during this heat wave week. But of course, it is definitely warm here. You guys know it is Wednesday, so that means I get to tap in with my guy, Brian Callanan from Seattle News, Views, and Brews. We're here all about what's happening tonight on Seattle News, Views, and Brews with him and David Croman. Also, I'm so excited because I get to sit down with James Earl Jones II. He is one of the crew and cast members of Come From Away that is playing right now at Fifth Avenue Theater. And I get to talk to him about this because I definitely saw this show on Friday and was so blown away. It is a phenomenal show. But you guys know that's coming a little bit later. It's the top of the show, so it's the best time for you to tag and share the stream. Please tag and share the stream with folks you feel could benefit from a daily dose of dopeness right here on The Day with Trey. Of course, if you cannot watch us, no worries. We also got you covered on every podcast platform imaginable. You guys just search Converge Media Network, Google, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, anywhere you find your favorite podcast, you guys can find us there as well. So search Converge Media Network and then search The Day with Trey. So you guys can find me right there. Want to give a huge shout out to all of our supporters and our listeners. We appreciate y'all. Y'all keep us on air. Y'all keep us running. Um, but also, I think it's real testament to hear all of the stories of the, the impact. You know, yesterday, Jordan was here and just gave such a phenomenal personal account of his brother being in Yemen and, you know, why he started photography. And I heard from so many people about how inspiring and just touching his story was. And that's what this show is all about. We want to bring guests here that are going to educate you, inform you, and also inspire you. And of course, one of our biggest recurring guests here when it comes to educating us and informing us and keeping us engaged is my guy, Brian Callanan from the Seattle Channel, but also from Seattle News, Views, and Brews right here on Converge Media. He's coming up next, and he is joining us from his studio at home. We so appreciate him. It's, of course, the booth of truth. What's up? Hi there, Brian. How are you? I'm great. Good to be back with you, Trey. And I'm sorry I couldn't join you in person, but uh, I'm trying to stay cool here as best I can. We've got another hot one today. Oh, yes, we do. And yesterday was already a scorcher. I know a lot of people are getting prepared. I am so thankful because a friend of mine brought me a whole AC unit and installed oh, nice. it for me. Shout out to friends out there that are caring for others because right. my, my whole condo needed that fresh air. So I'm so glad that you at least were able to join us because, you know, Brian, I look forward to these Wednesdays. Man, what's going on tonight on Seattle News Views and Brews? Got a lot of stuff happening on the show tonight at seven o'clock. I'm with my co-host, David Croman, and we're talking about something that's going on in Seattle right now, and that's the search for a new permanent police chief. As you might know, there will be a few community conversations around this. There was one just last night at North Seattle Community College and coming up on Saturday afternoon, started at three o'clock. There's going to be one down at the Rainier Beach Community Center. So people are invited to check that out. You can also check it out virtually. But this comes at a really interesting time, I think, for the police department, Trey, because as you know, the mayor is right in the middle of trying to 
push for a new hiring plan to try to get some more officers on board. 109 officers, again, lost over the course of this year. They're down at record low levels, at least in terms of what the police are saying there. So they're very interested in making sure that they get those levels back up. So what's a police chief inherit with that kind of a situation? Also, and we just heard from this yesterday as the Seattle City Council was briefed during its public safety meeting about a mid-year report on what the Office of Police Accountability what the uh, community police commission were saying about the police department, how they were doing with some of the different issues that have been lingering for a couple of years here. I'm talking about the ruses the police used during some of the protests of 2020. That hasn't been completely figured out. How is the police department going to be able to make sure that we keep our general populace informed, but do it in a way that's responsible? So there's a few different pieces that are moving around here. And I just think it's going to be a very interesting time, Trey. Are we going to stick with interim chief Adrian Diaz? He's been doing a lot of work over the past couple of years, but there's been some pushback from the community police commission that says, okay, that work looks good, but are we getting all the data here? There's some concerns with how the SPD is putting out data, at least in terms of what the CPC is saying. So there's a lot of moving parts here, but I think it's really important for people to get involved in this because some of these candidates are going to be in front of you over the next couple of days here. And I really urge people to check it out. I know Mayor Harrell wants to make sure people are weighing in with their opinions about a new police chief. Yeah, you know, this is one thing where the process has been, you know, community centric to a certain degree, Brian, I've been getting the emails, I know a lot of community based organizations are getting them, because they are really looking to engage community in this search for the new police chief. And of course, you know, we always say, well, all right, what has Chief Diaz been able to do from a community perspective? Is this is this where we get to actually, you know, work with somebody who's already building relationships in community? Because that right there is the key, I think, for many black community members in particular. Mm -hmm. And what I keep hearing is we don't have trust in the police force. And so it's going to require somebody to be super intentional and purposeful about the way that they build the relationship with community members. And I don't just mean the ones who come down to city hall all the time or the ones who are, you know, right there for the mayor to give a phone call to. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about everyday families out here that need to understand what that chief is going to be doing for them. And particularly, you know, we've talked about this, Brian, Mm -hmm. when we talk about bringing new police onto the force, Mm -hmm. what kind of police, right? Are we just accepting it for the sheer numbers? You're talking about 109 police officers, or are we actually looking at the pedigree of that officer that's coming into Seattle? This is something that's huge for community because ultimately it's, it comes between me and an officer. If I got to call somebody, I go back to Charlene Laws, Brian, you know what I'm saying? It's like, look, she called for uh, uh, help and unfortunately she got shot and Mm -hmm. murdered by the police. So there's so much, uh, so many deep layers for this, for many of us. And Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, it's a twofold kind of process because as you were talking about before, and I know you guys have been on this, Brian, like, look, if we get somebody new, Maybe it's somebody who already has some new strategies sure. that we can now inject into the process. But, yeah. but secondly, I just got to tap on this because, you know, mm-hmm. our guy right here at Converge Media, Omari, was on this story when it came to the police ruses. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we cannot afford for that to be the way that these new police officers or the current police officers are going to continue to move. Already, right. there's no trust in OPA, right? Nobody mm-hmm. actually believes that they're doing anything toward police accountability. Mm. We see this time and time again. Their reports are mere suggestions for the officers and the chief to be able to take into consideration. But it's not like, hey, these are obligations for you guys to make changes. So there's a lot that I think needs to be worked on here. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I want to just make sure I touched on a few pieces there that you brought up, Trey. I think there's a lot of different moving parts here. You think also that this department is still under a federal consent decree process for a use of force issue that dated back more than 10 years here. So this is something that a new chief, whoever that will be, will have to deal with. Also, we'll have to deal with trying to figure out how to gain not only the trust of the community, but the trust of his or her officers, too, when you talk about a contract for the police guild that hasn't been settled yet either. So that's a really interesting balancing act. And one more piece to this. I thought it was very interesting. The mayor in talking about this says he wants this leader who's going to engage the community, drive changes, et cetera. But he also said, and I'll quote this piece here, support a new third public safety department. And I'm not exactly sure what that's going to be, but I think that's going to be a situation where trying to figure out how a different branch of public safety gets established here. The people who could go out to those wellness checks, things of this nature, potentially could have some of the background they need psychologically or mental health-wise to help in a case like Charlena Lyle. So I think that uh, the mayor is very interested in getting, I, it could be a unicorn, right? Someone who knows how to do all these different things here, but it's very important. It's not just going to be police work. It's going to be community work and also trying to establish this third layer of public safety that the mayor is talking about too. Well, that's interesting, too, because it's been a long conversation in many communities, right, that mm -hmm. really end up suffering from, you know, kind of honestly blatant racist practices that have mm -hmm. really embed the system when we talk about policing. But, you know, the fact that there could be some other wing, right, that says, look, we're we're not coming with arms. We're not coming right. from that perspective. Yeah, not we're really sworn coming officers. To, help, yeah. mm -hmm. to negotiate, to de-escalate. Right. Like we've seen this happen. We've seen actual uh, practices of this happening at the community level. And we've been saying for a long time they need to be scaled up. So I'm glad that that's taking shape. What else is yeah. going on tonight, Brian? We're going to be talking a little bit about something that's happening in terms of town halls this week as well with the future of our Seattle Park system. We have a Seattle Park District that we put in place as voters in 2014 that set apart a separate taxing authority. So the members of the city council make up the board of that taxing authority. But this is something where the city has had a certain tax rate on this for the past several years, since 2014. Now they're considering raising that, actually doubling it potentially. So what would cost the average house payer about 155 bucks per year could potentially now cost close to $300. And I've talked with a, a few different people about this. I know it's an issue for a lot of different people who are of limited means. And council member Alex Peterson has definitely brought up that concern on the city council. But in talking to council member Andrew Lewis, who is the president or the head, I should say, of the park district here as a member of the Seattle City Council. He wants to make sure that we're doing the things that actually bring our parks up to the level they need to be. Because you think about it, through the course of the pandemic, through the course of all these different major climate events we've had over the past several years, and through the protests of a couple of years ago, parks have been front and center on this. And I think a lot of council members will say, we very simply have not been making the investment we need to in our parks. So it's a long conversation. There will be some public meetings happening uh, this week in the District 7 area, so downtown Magnolia area, this one's up in Queen Anne, but there will be some all over the city over the course of the summer here looking for feedback here to make sure people get their voices heard on this because parks are a crucial part of really getting through the heat when you talk about the spray parks that we have in Seattle, wading pools, things of that nature, but they're all also important places to gather and they can be centers of protest too. So I think there's a lot of questions people have out there about what their parks need to be and what they want from them in the years ahead. And that's going to be an important issue too this week. 
Well, this is really important, Brian. I mean, we're talking about public space and use of public space. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of things that ring in my head as I was listening to you. Number one, you know, because I have this real intense insight on the Garfield Superblock project, I realized that that was actually where the city dropped the ball. They Mm -hmm. said that they were going to redevelop the the park. And then, and unfortunately, they were like, well, we're not going to do it. Don't have Mm -hmm. the funding, whatever. They dropped the project. And it was on the backs of community members, legacy community members like Robert Stevens, who Mm. said, we have to continue with the redevelopment of Garfield Park, just like they redeveloped the school, they redeveloped Quincy Jones Auditorium. We have to now bring that redevelopment into the park space. And it was something that then he pulled together a coalition to continue to press for. If it wasn't for community members really utilizing their voice to say, we need to do something about this park in particular and bring it up to speed. It is one of the central parks right there in the central district that needed a lot of maintenance. We're talking about the restrooms really not being accessible. So there's a lot of different issues there. And it's unfortunate that, you know, sometimes it takes the voice of our community members. We know this for many different issues outside of parks, you know, to really change the game. But I really appreciate the fact that community members have gotten together to press for that and that now the city is really looking at all of the parks. I do agree, though, in terms of everybody fronting the cost on this because everybody doesn't have the luxury to access parks. And that's my other concern there. You're talking about a family, maybe as a single parent household, they got two or two or three jobs. They're shuffling, trying to make ends meet. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately to now say they don't even have time to go to the parks or take their kids to the park. And so sometimes these kind of blanketed approaches don't really account for that. Yeah, no, there's a lot of different concerns there. And I also forgot to mention the intersection with homelessness and our parks, too, which has been a huge issue over the past several years. So I think the council is trying to move forward here as the park district and making sure they get the feedback that they need so that these parks are clean and safe and accessible and have the programs that everybody's looking for. Well, Brian, I always appreciate you coming through on Wednesdays. Uh, Make sure folks know where they can find you tonight. Yep. Make sure you check it out on Converge tonight at seven o'clock. It's Seattle News, Views and Brews. We love being on Converge and connecting with all the audiences here. If you want to connect with me personally at Callanan Seattle on Twitter, great way to get a conversation going. And I really appreciate the time, Trey, once again. Always, Brian. Take care, buddy. All right. You too. See ya. Oh, so many great topics that they're going to be covering tonight on Seattle News, Views and Brews. Make sure you guys do tune in. I'm telling you, it is a great way for you to learn what's going on right here in City Hall, what's happening throughout the city. And I love that Brian and David are always on top of these topics. They educate me. So make sure you tune in so you can be educated as well. Well, up next after this short break, I get to talk to James Earl Jones II. We're going to be talking about all things come from away and how he blew me away with his performance. You guys stay tuned after this short break. You're watching The David Trey. Welcome back, everybody, to The David Trey. I'm so excited for this segment right here because I tell y'all all the time, I'm a real theater kid, so watching live theater is one of my favorite things. And this guest right here, James Earl Jones II, tore the house down would come from away what's up james how are you how you living i'm good i'm good (laughs) so great to have you here thank you so much for making time in your busy schedule to join me in the black media matter studios welcome thank you i love it it's it's great when you walk in you just feel like immediately immersed in the black experience so thank you yeah absolutely that's really what this is about here and You know, we love our partnership with, you know, Fifth Avenue Theater. We always want to make sure that we are sharing 
these opportunities to experience theater with our community who sometimes feels, is that really a space for me? So we really try to make it welcoming and warming. And I know that Fifth Avenue Theater cares so much about that. Yeah. You know, tell us a bit about what got you into it, because, I mean, you, your name is James Earl Jones II, so people could probably figure it out like, oh, man, legacy, right? But tell uh, us about, like, your, you know, start in acting. In acting in general? Yeah. Um, I was just, um, I was just a hyperactive kid, <laughs> and um, my mother was, my mother was a teacher in Chicago, and uh, she was like, we're going to have to do something with that energy. And so uh, she put me into acting, but I, I only did a few plays. I actually uh, wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I mean, I wanted to be a doctor until I got accepted to Emory University in Georgia. And I was, uh, I joined this, uh, I applied for this medical program in high school. I went to Whitney Young, which is the same high school as Michelle Obama. Oh, right. Huh? And, uh, and I was, uh, it was between my junior year and senior year of, of high school. And my supervisor uh, at the University of Illinois Chicago Hospitals, he was doing his residency at Fisk. And he was telling me, oh, you know, I only got a few more years left. And I was like, a few more? How long have you been in school? And he was like, oh, you know, I've been to about eight years. He said, I only got four more to go. And I was like, oh, oh, is that, that's, oh, that's your timeline. Like, you like to take things easy. He was like, no, no, doctors are generally, you know, anywhere from 13 to 20 years. And I was like, oh, no, Lord, I got to find something else to do. <laughs> and, uh, and honestly, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Um, but uh, my, my dad's sister, my auntie Pam, she was like, well, I mean, you sing just for fun. Why don't you go to school for singing? And I said, okay. So that's what I did. I actually, um, I went to University of Illinois Champaign. Uh, I went there for vocal performance. Uh, so I was, uh, my focus actually was opera and classical music. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I, I will say that like my journey is very different from many because I feel like I was doing something that I was good at, but I didn't, I didn't understand my purpose at the time. Um, I felt like, I mean, I, I, I sang in Europe, um, had the opportunity to sing a solo at Notre Dame in, in Paris, but I still didn't realize my purpose. So like I, I came back after college, I was working at a law firm, another law firm, uh, an African-American advertising firm, but I wasn't performing at all. Mm. And my voice teacher, um, my, uh, my voice teacher, the late Robert Berthold, he, he and I always worked together during high school when I'd come home for college and we were working together, but I wasn't actually performing. I would just see him every week. It was, it was almost like therapeutic. And then, um, uh, he passed away. And when he passed away, he left me um, a letter. He had gifted me a piano and boxes of vocal music and a letter that uh, just, it basically asked me what I had done with my life. Mm. And at the time, I I hadn't done much. Mm. And so uh, I told myself that I didn't really know how I was gonna move forward. I didn't really know what I needed. I just know I needed to do something different. Mm -hmm. I needed to audition. I needed to 
find my footing. I just need to do something. Um, and so I did. I, I auditioned. That was my New Year's resolution. I auditioned uh, immediately uh, the very next year. I booked uh, this show called The Gondoliers with the Hyde Park Gilbert and Sullivan Society. Um, and, uh, and then I just didn't stop. Wow. And so here I am. You know, that's really, I think, the story of so many, right? There's always these unique kind of qualifiers and characteristics, but the idea of perseverance, right? Like pushing through it, audition after audition, you know, building upon one experience over the next. I know even for me, I, I think about my own personal experience and I go, there was so there was something that was so surreal about me landing my first lead role, right? Um, and and I remember being like, oh my gosh, it was Miss Firecracker Contest, right? And they were like, well, you know, out of all of y'all who got kind of made it through the first round, who's willing to dye their hair red uh, for this role? And I was the only black girl. And I was like, mm -mm, my mom and dad are not having that, you know, right? But for some odd reason, they were like, you know what? We're still going to roll with you. You know, we found a, a workaround and all this. And so it worked out. And that for me was like a spark. But it, every time there was this buildup. Well, I could just say that I'm so glad I did see you on Friday and I did not know what to expect. But this story is one that I don't know has ever been told. And the way it's told uh, in this musical is so well put together. Tell me a little bit about your experience, because you play various characters but when, when you come out as that captain oh goodness <laughs> you take it to another level too but tell us a bit about your experience because this is really an ensemble cast you know all of y'all are playing multiple characters you're on stage the entire time no intermission this is like it's one of a kind james yeah so um i i, I didn't know anything about the show uh when i first auditioned for it uh and I didn't know anything about Gander when I first auditioned, um, which I don't think a lot of people do. Um, you know, like I'm from Chicago. Uh, I still live there. And, um, you know, the events that happened, they happened at a time that was before things were going viral. Right? Yeah. Like things didn't go viral. So like how you heard about these events, I mean, I, I wouldn't even know. But I remember uh, my agent um so my agent is uh, Stuart Talent, and my my agent Jim. He was like, "Hey, I want you to come in for this audition." And I said, "Great." He said, "I don't know what it's about." Mm -hmm. And I said, "Okay." And he said, "Do you know?" And I said, "I have no idea." And so uh, I came in, and he just said, "You got to play a lot of characters." And I said, "Okay." So um, we went in. Uh, I came into the office. We did a tape. We sent the tape in. Um, about a week and a half later, I flew to New York um, and uh, I did a I did an audition with the creative team uh, and the producers. I came back later that day for a movement call. Uh, I saw the show that night because I had never seen it. Um, and then I had one more call back the following morning. Uh, I hopped on a plane. I got home. And when I landed, my agent called me super excited and said I booked it. It was wow. it was very surreal. Um, one of the uh, one of the awesome things, two of our four uh, producers, uh, Kenny and Marlene Alhadif, actually are based here, live mm -hmm. here. Uh, Kenny has an office at the Fifth Avenue Theater, and I remember him saying that like 
the show isn't just about casting talented people. It's about casting people who reflect the people of this town, mm. good people. Um, because they're, you know, I'm sure that there are probably far more talented people uh, than, than us who, who maybe just don't reflect the same ideals of the show or the community. Um, and, and honestly, like, I, I just, what I love most about the show, uh, which a lot of people can't say is that one, it's based on a true story. Um, two, you have the opportunity to meet these people in real life. Mm. And, um, and, and they are exactly, they are exactly like we do like the, the exactly like the way we characterize them in the show. Wow. Um, they are, they are awesome people, um, full of kindness. And, uh, I actually, um, I'm the only one, at least for now that has had the opportunity to go to Gander. Wow. Um, now when we opened here in 2018 for the beginning of our tour, uh, most of the plain people that we characterize and the Newfoundlanders came and saw the show for our opening. We all took a bow together. It was, wow. it was pretty epic. Um, but you know, like having Q and A's talking to people like what's, you know, what's Gander like? And, and it was like, none of us could say like nobody knew. And so, uh, I flew there in July of 2019 and, um, they are every bit exactly like we characterize them in the story. Um, I think it is really smart, uh, that our director, Chris Ashley, he, he basically picked six men, six women, and we basically create about 70 characters. Wow. Um, and what I love is that the show is like a hundred minutes. There's no intermission. And part of the impetus behind that was, um, I believe when it was first being workshopped, they used to have an intermission after the big screech in moment mm -hmm. into uh, Beverly Bass's song, Me in the Sky. However, um, I think Chris determined that not only does it lose kind of like the, the momentum, mm -hmm. but he also felt like, well, you know, the people in Gander for five days didn't have a chance to take a break. Mm -hmm. So we won't take a break. Wow. And so we just, um, you know, we just, we do the show and, and honestly, no matter how many times we do it, whenever people say, you know, are you tired of doing it? I know you must be tired. I know this must be exhausting, but the reality of it is, is that like you, you never get tired of telling a story that, that not only changes people for the better, but you don't get tired of telling a story that uplifts people, that connects people, that makes them, that makes them understand that like we, we can believe in the same things. We can believe in different things. We can love who we love. We can look how we want and we can all be accepted. Yeah. Right? We can all be welcomed. Um, I felt that too. Right. I'll tell you like that, that for me, not only is the story phenomenal because I mean, we're talking about nine 11, which everyone almost in the world kind of experienced it no matter where you were. And I think this show really indicates that. Mm -hmm. And just so the audience is aware, this is about the, the folks who were on the planes, y'all, 
when 9-11 happened. So they weren't able to land in their respective places in the United States. And all of these planes ended up in Newfoundland in a, in a town called Gander. And that's what James is talking about here, where then the town of Gander of 9,000 people received 7,000. Uh, they were calling them plain people, right? Received 7,000 people. And they showed their hospitality in a way that was like far beyond ever reaching. The story for me takes on so many different notes, right? Because you know, uh, from one of your characters that you played, you know, as, as a black man being like, I don't know about my wallet being sold, right? Like the, the idea is that there was something in this show for everybody all the way down to, you know, the, the woman who told her story of becoming a pilot, which I thought was so phenomenal. There is something from that I walked away with it. And I was talking to my friend and I said, there's just something special about how there's something in this for everybody. And so no matter what your, your, your day was on 9-11, you, there's some type of connection you can make to the characters here, which is why I love that you guys play so many different characters and you guys seamlessly go in and out of these characters. You know, just tell me a bit about that for you because you play multiple characters. Oh my gosh. And you come in and you have this Nigerian accent and you're, you know, I mean, I was just like, I was really blown away because it takes for, for an actor it takes your talent to another level because then you get to showcase this huge range yeah. that you have in one show. Tell us about that for you. Um, yeah. So um, I think that um, this show, it is a musical. It is heavy with music. Um, David Hine and Irene Sankoff, the, uh, the lovely married couple who wrote this show, um, they wrote it with a lot of, a lot of music that was, um, it informs you of certain, certain like irish tunes and uh even a little bit of a little bit a little bit of jazz mm -hmm. and there's um there's so many different styles of music but with the characters um i think that um one of the things for me is that like even even though it feels like a musical um even though it feels like a musical it is a it is an actor driven show it's an actor driven show and i think that for many of us we just have we just have a lot of fun creating these different characters, right? And we had, we had plenty of time to nuance them um, because we started rehearsing for this show August 27th, 2018. We started performing it here in Seattle, October 5th, 2018. And I mean, we have now done close to 900 shows. Wow. Um, and so, you know, we have plenty of time to nuance, to, to change the rhythm, to work on our accents. We have an awesome dialect coach, Joe Goldies, uh, who's based out of California. And um, he would come to shows, you know, and he'd be like, that was a, it was a really great job, but still here's what you need to kind of work <laughs> on. And uh, you know, we, I mean, we're, we're never perfect, you know, but, uh, but, but practice makes progress. So we, uh, we, we keep at it and uh, we play with the voices, we play with our dispositions, uh, with the accents. And um, I, I, I think that one good thing is that, you know, sometimes we have a costume piece that we put on mm -hmm. and that informs us and then informs the audience. Um, but I think uh, I remember having a Q&A with a woman in Pittsburgh who was like, am I going to know you're a different character? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, you will. Because I think that early on the audience, the audience at first for like the first five minutes, they might be like, wait a minute, 
But then it becomes very clear, like, okay, you're a different character now. And some people, after they see the show, will still say, I thought there were more people on stage. Yeah. And it's like, nope, it's just 12 of us. You know, I I was going to actually say that when you said 12, because it just felt like you guys were filling the room. I mean, you guys were even the movement, like the choreography of it. Right. In terms of how you guys flow and the movement of, you know, one scene to another and bringing these different characters to life. Mm -hmm. And like you said, those nuances actually make a huge deal. So Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that I was able to see the show. And I am glad that you came here because now folks know a little bit more about what they can expect when they come. But I want to give you that opportunity before I let you go today. Look right there and let them know how they can come and see Come From Away. Oh, sure. So um, you can come see Come From Away at the Fifth Avenue Theater. We are there for this week and next week, uh, Tuesday through Sunday. We do eight shows a week. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at 7.30 p.m. Saturdays at 1.30 and 7.30 and Sundays at 1.30 and 7.30. Come see us there and uh, we're going to have an awesome time. Come and be changed. Yeah, be changed by this phenomenal story. Untold, true story that blew me away. It yeah. really did. It was so eye-opening um, to experience so many different characters and for it to be real. I, I'm telling you, I walked away and I was just like blabbing about it the whole weekend. <laughs> James, thank you so much for joining me on the thank day you. with Trey today. I'm so glad that I you know, was able to see you and meet you today. So honored. And thank you for a phenomenal job in Absolutely. this show. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming and for having me on. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness, you guys. I promised y'all it was going to be a treat today. Oh, my goodness. You guys are going to want to go see this show come from away. It really did blow me away. And honestly, I'm one who, you know, I'll, I'll keep it real and say, well, it was all right. No, this was phenomenal. And the whole time, you're not waiting for an intermission. You are waiting for the next story, the next character, the next uh, evolvement of the story that has already been shown to you. There's so many great gems in this. So make sure you guys go check it out. Also, before I let y'all go, there is an opera you got to go check out. It is opera's most winning comedy, The Elixir of Love. You guys want to make sure you guys go check this out as well. Right there at McCall Hall. They are doing some shows right now. You guys can check it out. I can't wait to go see it. I just emailed for my tickets. I'm looking forward to going and, and laughing. You know, there's nothing more uh, exciting. I think for me, when we're talking about opera, you know, I was still like, am I going to like opera? And already y'all, the shows that I've seen have been mind blowing. So make sure you guys get your tickets for that one as well. And of course, for me, I always want y'all to be inspired by the guests that you see here on the day with Trey. I know we went over again today, but I had to like really dive in with James today. And y'all know how me and Brian get when we're talking about the issues here in this city. But clearly Brian and James are finding their own ways to see themselves as a part of the solution, whether it's being on that stage and sharing stories that are going to be inspiring and touching to the audience, or whether it's Brian diving through these archives, figuring out what's going on at City Hall, bringing us the information. It's always a great time when I have Brian on. And honestly, my guest James today was truly inspiring to me. I I hope he was inspiring to you all, not to just go see the show. But for me, it's always about seeing yourself as a part of the solution, y'all. And tomorrow, it is Thursday. So we got our resident coach, 
Curtis Calhoun will be in the building. We're going to be going over real life or tip number four. Ooh, we're churning through these real life or tips, y'all. Make sure you guys tune in. And I'm hoping I get to check in with my girl, Julia Jesse for Clapback Culture because it's been a minute and I miss her. So I'm excited to tap in with her and bring you guys all the deets on Clapback Culture tomorrow. Well, of course, tonight, Seattle News, Views and Brews at 7 p.m. right here on Converge. And for me, y'all, until tomorrow at 11 a.m., peace. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.